0: Today is a special Sunday for us because today begins Advent, which means we are not too far away from Christmas. Advent is that season in which we prepare for the coming of Christ among us. And so to help us do that, we're jumping into a new sermon series entitled, A New King. So as we get ready to do that today, would you join with me in a word of prayer? Almighty God, this day may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight shaking us to new life in you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, amen. As we get started this morning, I want to show you a picture of somebody that I'm guessing a lot of you, maybe almost all of you will probably recognize. So here's the picture. This is LeBron James. Even if you are not a basketball fan, I'm guessing most of us have heard of LeBron's name somewhere. He is widely considered one of the best basketball players ever. He's often compared to the great Michael Jordan and there are debates among many of which of them is a greater player. Now, Whether you think that LeBron is the best of all time or not, it's hard to doubt that he's one of the greatest. Just to give you a sense of his greatness, he's the only player in National Basketball Association League history to have won NBA championships with three different franchises. He has also competed in 10 NBA finals. He's won the MVP in the NBA four different times. He's been elected to the All-Star team 17 times. And he's currently third in points scored for all time and eighth in assists all time, and he's still playing the game. And so he might even move up higher on those respective lists. He was so good, he went straight from high school to the pros. But in addition to his athletic prowess, James has accumulated incredible wealth off of the court Through numerous endorsements and contracts, he's been featured in books and in documentaries and in television commercials. He's done things like host Saturday Night Live. He's been involved in a variety of philanthropic activist pursuits. He's opened his own elementary school. He's helped various housing complexes in his own hometown in Akron, Ohio. Over the course of his lifetime, LeBron has earned roughly between on and off the court over one billion dollars. His name goes well beyond the athletic arena, into the entertainment industry, even into the political sphere. So why am I sharing with you today all this news about LeBron? I'm not trying to convert you and make you a LeBron fan and maybe you're not even a basketball fan and so you don't feel overly interested in these facts about LeBron and that's okay. But the reason I bring up all of this information about LeBron is there's one other fact that I think is interesting about him. Many famous athletes have special nicknames that are given to them. For example, many of us have heard of Tiger Woods in golf, or maybe from a number of years ago, William the Refrigerator Perry in football, or of course, Michael Air Jordan in basketball. Do you know what the nickname for LeBron is? He's entitled LeBron, the King James, and his Twitter name and handle is LeBron at King James. It's an interesting title, isn't it? The King. LeBron embodies much of what we think of when it comes to Kings. He has tremendous wealth. He has tons of followers and fans. He has great power and influence. He has fame and riches. He's considered great in so many ways. And so in lots of ways, it makes sense to give him the nickname, The King. I raise all of this today because today is the first Sunday in Advent. And Advent literally means coming. It's the time of the year when we prepare for the coming of a new king, King Jesus. And over the next number of weeks, we'll be getting ready to welcome King Jesus through his birth. And this king has a name, specifically the name of Jesus. But this King Jesus is a very, very different kind of king than from somebody like LeBron James. This King Jesus is a very different kind of king in so many ways. He's not like Alexander the Great or Julius Caesar or Napoleon Bonaparte or Charlemagne or any of those kings. Jesus is a king who will not be marked by all the normal things that you and I attribute to kings in this world. Things like wealth and power and fame and influence. I cannot say this strongly enough. Jesus is an entirely different kind of king. He's so different, we almost can't get our minds around it because we're so used to what earthly kings with their wealth and their power and their influence look like. We will notice that this king, Jesus, he rules differently. His kingdom is marked by different characteristics. His kingdom is marked by kindness, not name-calling. It's marked by service, not demand. It's marked by humility, not ego. It's marked by peace, not violence. And so we need some time, some extra time, to prepare ourselves for the arrival of this different kind of king because his kingdom does not come naturally to you and I as human beings. And so we have to be super intentional to encounter this king and to prepare for this king who will be born in a manger among peasants out of wedlock in a nowhere kind of place. And the time that we take to get ready, the time we take to prepare that we're now entering into, is called Advent. And we're gonna take the next number of weeks to do our best to prepare for this different kind of king. When it comes to preparing, we human beings usually prepare by doing things. We do this all the time. How is it that we prepare for a wedding? We order things like bridesmaids dresses and the dress that the bride herself will wear and we order the venue and the flowers and and we get the date set and we get a guest list pulled together. We do all these things to prepare. When our kids go off to college, how do we help prepare them? We make sure they have everything they need. We make sure they have new bed sheets or necessary clothes. We might grab them a microwave or a TV or a computer. We wanna make sure they have bath mats for their apartment and enough cleaning supplies. When you've got company coming, what do you do to prepare? You clean the house, you scrub the bathrooms, you clean the sheets, you put out some extra food to make sure there's gonna be enough for everyone. I still remember many years ago when I was living in one of my first apartments by myself, my parents were coming to visit. I spent hours before they got there picking up clothes off the floor, scrubbing the bathroom, throwing away garbage, grabbing extra food, why? Well, one, I didn't want them to twist an ankle when they walked into my apartment with all the stuff on the floor, but I also wanted to honor them by making the place presentable. And so now here we are coming up soon to Christmas. How do we prepare? All too often, we continue to prepare like we do with other things. We do things. We get trees. We put up decorations. We get our gift list ready. We go get things. Those are the kinds of things we often do to prepare. And usually the more important or the more prestigious the person is, the more things we do to prepare for the arrival. But the Bible has a different way of helping us prepare. It's not so much focused on doing those kinds of things that I just went through. It's not a preparation based on those kinds of elements. It's a preparation that feels very, very different. And honestly, it doesn't feel very Christmassy. The preparing for King Jesus actually begins in the Old Testament, and it's incredibly emotional. Normally for Christians, at Christmas, we think of things like joy and peace and love and hope, and all of those items are abundantly present. But before we get to the joy and the peace and the love and the hope, we hear these words, words like what we find in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Just listen to what these these words say a voice of one calling. And notice it says calling, not saying. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground will become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Or consider what we hear in Malachi chapter 2 verses 2 through 5a that say this, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. But who can endure the coming, the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. Not exactly rainbows and butterflies kind of stuff to help us feel in the Christmas spirit. Not exactly the kind of things we associate with preparation for Christmas. But these prophets in the Old Testament, as a way of helping us prepare for the coming of Christ eventually, they were a different breed, let me just tell you. There are 17 prophetic books in the Old Testament from Isaiah to Malachi. We oftentimes don't read them in their entirety because they're just hard to read and understand. I will confess to you, the prophetic books are the hardest ones for me every time I go through them to really comprehend and understand what's happening. Contrary to popular belief, prophets were actually more interested in speaking to the present than they were about predicting the future. They prophesied mainly, these prophets in the Old Testament, mainly between 740 BC and 430 BC related to what was happening in the lives of the people of Israel, the people of God, and usually their messages were inspired from God because the Israelite people at one point or another had forsaken their first love in God and decided to pursue idols and turn towards injustice. And so the prophets come inspired by God giving warnings. They are pleading with God's people, please turn back to God, please bring your focus back to God, please do justice in the name of God. And so to be a prophet, especially in the Old Testament, it really was not a very fun gig. Essentially, their message was to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Now, who wants to be the person delivering that message? But this is how the preparation begins for this different kind of king, with the message of the prophets. And notice that both Isaiah and Malachi, they reference somebody who will come before the king. Isaiah defines the person as a voice of one calling. Malachi defines the person as my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And who is that messenger? Well, look with me in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, verses 13 and 16 and 17 that say this. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord, their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Listen to what John is going to do. He will go on in the spiritual power of Elijah, the greatest of Old Testament prophets to make ready the people and help them prepare for the coming of the Lord. And then do you remember what the message of John was that was a message of preparation? We've heard it, Luke chapter three, verses four through six, a baptism of repentance, where John declares, as it's written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be felled in, every mountain and hill made low, the crooked roads shall become straight and rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. What a strange and disconcerting message! What a strange form of preparation! We prepare to encounter Jesus through repentance. A baptism of repentance, for for the forgiveness of sins and and admitting where I'm wrong and making changes. It's a lot. Uh, Repentance was the primary message that the prophets gave to God's people over and over and over. Jesus himself said, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. This word repent in the Greek comes from a word called metanoia. It means a change of mind. It means to think differently. But it was more than just thinking differently. The idea was if you think differently, then your heart will change and you'll feel differently. And once you feel differently, you will act differently. So a change of mind leads to a change of heart, which leads to a change of action. For example, you can think of it this way. I was walking along in one direction, but then I realized in my mind I was walking the wrong way. So then I decided in my heart to walk a different way, and then I actually put into action what I feel in my heart and I walk the other way. I was walking the wrong path, but I'm now gonna turn and walk the right path. It's a U-turn of sorts. This is what repentance is. It involves more than just thinking differently. It leans to a change of heart and change of action. Now, in the Greek, there's also another word that we often use for sin, and it's a term called hamaria, and it means to miss the mark. So think about aiming an arrow and you miss the bullseye. When you do that, you experience hamaria. You miss the mark, you stray from the path, you sin. In God's kingdom, our marks, our bullseyes, are things like love and justice and beauty. But when we miss those marks, we experience hamartia. We're off the mark, we experience sin. And so the goal of the prophets was to come along and encourage the people to repent in order to help them to get back on the mark, to get back on the path. So repenting, metanoia, is what helped God's people to get back on the path and avoid missing the mark, the hamartia. Many years ago, there was a famous songwriter, maybe some of you have heard of him, his name is Rich Mullins. Some of his songs continue even today. He passed away in 1997. I still remember listening to him some when I was in college. A story is told of Rich where he had lost his temper with someone. He used pretty harsh language and really tore them down. He hurt them and he knew that he had missed the mark. Later, Rich apologized for his language to that person and for missing the mark. And then the next day after his apology, that person happened to look out their window and they saw that their lawn was being mowed by Rich. He was out there mowing the lawn of the person he had hurt. Why? Because he was offering fruits and actions in a spirit of repentance in keeping with his repentance. His actions matched his words as a reflection of his heart and his change of thinking. I wonder where in our life we have strayed from the path. I wonder right now where we are straying from the path and missing the mark in thought or word or deed or action? Where do we need to repent? Is it around pride? Who am I putting down because I'm convinced I'm right and they're wrong? Is it around envy? Whose successes or possessions or reputation am I jealous of right now? Is it around gluttony? Where do I try to drown out my sorrow or despair by consuming more and more and more? Is it around lust? Where am I secretly treating people like objects rather than people? Is it in an affair, in pornography, in my own thoughts? Is it around greed? Where do I choose to take more than what I need, thus depriving others because of my lack of generosity? Is it around anger? Have I said hurtful things to others, either personally or publicly, with those with whom I disagree by labeling them as them? And other and treating them as less than human? Where have I grown callous to the suffering of others? Where am I not contributing to God's flourishing? When we start to meditate on these types of questions, we will realize where we fall short, where we're missing the mark. Now, I realize this is kind of heavy stuff, right? I mean, you might be thinking this, this is the Christmas message, just this is how we get ready for Christmas? I mean, suddenly going into debt a little bit to get Christmas gifts or fighting the crowds at Christmas for a few minutes to get some Christmas gift cards or exchange something for a loved one, that doesn't seem like such a bad way to prepare for Christmas compared to this. But here this church There was one other part of the message of the prophets that we need to hear today. Yes, they invited God's people to repent. Yes, their message is often uncomfortable. Yes, they did share things that people did not want to hear, but they also shared this message. At the end of it, always, they would always, always, always remind the people of God, remember the worst thing is never the last thing because this king will come. A king will come, a different kind of king who will bring about a different kind of kingdom. We serve a passionate God. And this God gets riled up when injustice occurs. This God gets emotional when the vulnerable are abused or are forgotten. This God is not okay with beauty being replaced by ugliness or goodness being replaced by evil or holiness being replaced by sin. This God loves us too much to leave us to our own devices. And so this passionate God, God says, I am going to send you my son and he will be your king. And he's gonna be a king unlike any king you've ever had before. And he's not gonna be welcomed with heads of state and television crews. He'll not be an internet sensation. He'll not come in great wealth or power or fame. He will come in a trough to a virgin in a little out of the way place corner of the world. And here's how I want you to get ready for him by preparing your heart through repentance, by rewiring your thinking, which will rewire your heart, which will rewire how you act. And God says this because God says, I have your best in mind. I will sanctify you. Evil will have no place here. And I will not leave you to your own devices. And so prepare for me, in a different way than you would prepare for anyone else because this is a different kind of king. A king who loves us more than we could possibly ever imagine. A king who comes because this God said, my heart is breaking and I've got to be with my people. And so I will send my son to live among them and to know them and eventually to live and die for them because I love them so much. I invite us today to repent, that we might experience the fullness of the love of Jesus Christ. I shared with some of you, many of you, that a number of years ago now, when I was in high school, it was my sophomore year, and I was trying to make the varsity team, and my coach at the time, he was pretty big on defense. He was adamant that when you were guarding somebody with a ball, you needed to get both hands up when they shot the ball. On one particular day in practice, I'm hustling as hard as I can. My guy gets the ball, and he goes to shoot, and I got one hand up. My coach calmly comes over to me and he says, Lake, when your guy shoots the basketball, you need to get both hands up. I said, got it coach, I got it, I'm ready, okay. Next play happens, I'm hustling as hard as I can, my guy gets the ball, he shoots, I get one hand up. Now a little more irritated, the coach comes over to me, and says, Lake, I told you, when your guy gets the ball and shoots, you get both hands up. Okay coach, I got it, I got it. We continue playing a little bit later on, my guy gets the ball, he shoots the ball, I get one hand up. Now the coach pauses and he comes over to me and he puts his hand on my shoulder and he points down to the opposite end of the gym and he says, Lake, you see the free throw line down there at the opposite end of the gym where nobody else is standing? Yeah, coach, I see. He said, I want you to get down there, stand on the free throw line, stand with both hands up and you stay like that until I call you back. So I walked to the other end of the gym by myself on the free throw line, standing there for I don't remember how long with both hands up as this sophomore on the team while everybody else watched and then carried on with practice. Now, I don't remember again how long I stood there, but I can tell you this, from that point on, forever after, anytime my guy shot the ball, I got both hands up. There had to be a switch in my mind and then accepting and committing in my heart and then following through in my actions to do that. Repentance involves a change in thinking in our hearts and in our actions. My coach was not a mean person. He saw that I was straying off the path of basketball greatness as it were and he cared enough about me to help me become the best player I could be. He demanded that my actions match my words and my thinking and my heart so that I could be the best basketball player I could be. He was forcing me to rethink and then accept so I would act differently. And he cared enough about me to not let me off the hook. Today we hear the prophets and John coming to us and they're saying the King, the Messiah is coming and he's not okay with how we are right now. So get ready. There's gonna be some changes needed. Repent, turn away from evil, turn towards God, do what you need to do. And I will admit this is a rather strange way for us to get ready for Christmas, but this King is unlike any other you will ever find. And he loves us more than we could possibly love ourselves. And he loves us enough to hold us accountable, to help us live into all we're intended to live into as we are made in the image of God. So today, church, get ready. Get ready for him in ways that are different. Prepare for him in ways that are different than the entire rest of the world. For the king is about to come. It's time to get ready. Prepare the way of the Lord prepare the way of this new king